Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Post 20 Podcast. You're now listening to episode 125 of the show. My name is Evan. I'm back from vacation. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Matt. What's going on this week with you? Uh, I, uh, this kind of felt like the longest week in a while in between episodes. I felt like um, with March Madness happening and I feel like a bunch of other things on TV and stuff going on in my life, it felt like a really long week. Um, and for talking in particularly about like this episode and the show, obviously, like there were only seven games, so... Um, it went really quick, and I guess before I, we get into it, I, I just wanted to say our records real quick. Zach was on um, last week. I don't know if you listened to, but we, yep. we talked a lot in detail about Man United, and we broke a lot of things down about teams, and it kind of worked well. And once again, Zach um, finished with the best record. He went 4-3, and three, yep. and then you and I both went 3-4. and four. So Zach sits at a overall record of 22-15. and 15. Um, we said we're going to get him. I told him we're going to get him back on the last couple weeks in May yeah. um, after graduation. Um, and then you're still positive, 145, 143. Uh, and then I'm down there, 131 and 157. So I got a, I have a mountain to climb with only eight weeks left. So I'll try to salvage what I can. But I don't know. It seems like, um, oh, and yeah, I got the West Ham game wrong again. So uh, that only makes sense. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I know that by the end of the season, like I'm going to have cut 500 so close. Uh, that That's really my goal is to just finish above 500. If I finish on the nose, that's fine. Um, I don't know. With the amount of games and the longevity of the season, like that's crazy. Yeah, I know. And I don't, I think it's like, it's going to be tough to finish 500. The only reason I'm there right now is because I had like, you know, three yeah. crazy weeks yeah. in a row. Yeah, you were like, um, you were like 27 and four or something or yeah. something absolutely astronomical. Yeah. And that, that just doesn't happen um, very often because as I've said, you know, many times on this show and in conversation with others, um, there's three results in in a match uh, of this uh, of this format, right? In in the league, you have your wins, you have your draws, and you have your losses. In pretty much every other sport, you're you're not betting on a draw, um, and thankfully we don't have extra time to to deal with uh, in the league. Oh right? Jesus! Oh, extra time bets are my least favorite thing on earth because. When you're betting Champions League, and we'll get into the games here soon, but when you're betting Champions League or League Cup or something of that nature, and you take a team straight up instead of hunting into whatever sports book you're on and looking for um, to qualify, to advance, or to win, including extra time and penalties. Oh, it's the worst. When a team scores an extra time and you're like, oh, I cashed it. I cashed my parlay or I cashed the straight bet. And you go in and you realize you just pressed the very first thing you saw instead of hunting. I mean, I've lost. I don't even want to think about how much money doing that shit. Um, yeah. It's awful. All right, let's get into these games. We have match day 16 here, match day 27 and match day 20. Um, the first two games were Brighton and Tottenham and Arsenal and Liverpool. 
Brighton and Tottenham, uh, I think, kind of went how both of us would have expected. I believe we both took Tottenham in this game. Um, Unexpectedly, Christian Romero opened the scoring in the 37th minute. Harry Kane, a little bit more expectedly, scored in the 57th to cap off a solid performance from Tottenham. Up, down, up, down, up, down. Constantly how these guys play. Um, Brighton, zero goals, 15 shots, but none on target. Couldn't register even one. 48% possession. They knocked the ball around relatively well, and they lined up how you pretty much would have expected. Um, Haven't seen, I don't think we've seen as much of Solly March this season, if I recall. Has he been, has he been starting or no? No, it's usually yeah. um, usually they'll go with two up front, whether it's Mupai, Trussard, and um, Welbeck. Yeah, and then uh, Modair kind of fills in there, and Elzate. So yeah. Yeah, he's kind of taking a back seat, surprisingly, because in years past it seems like he was a regular starter. So yeah, he he, you know, I I remember hearing the name a lot last year, um, just because of the way that the announcers say it. It's annoying, and Solly is a strange first name. But um, he got the start in this one. He played out on the right, sort of as like a right wing. McAllister behind Mapai and Trissard out on the left. I think Trissard's been um, one of their standout players, Basuma as well. But Mapai not really getting as involved as um, you would expect, especially from his performances in the last few seasons. Noam Wepu in this game, he stayed on the bench the whole time. Um, and then Tottenham lined up essentially how they've been lining up. We're seeing more of Doherty. Uh, I saw a uh, quote from him that said, despite you know maybe the numbers on paper that he thinks he's having his best season ever, uh, I think that is one of the most insane things I've ever heard a footballer say because I think he's, he's truly terrible uh, and a bad fit for Tottenham. But... Uh, one of the defenders, Christian Romero, getting on the board here. He's been uh, his name's been in in the newspapers. He got involved in a taunting incident the uh, last fixture as well. So Kane and Romero getting uh, getting goals here. Statistically, Tottenham I think uh, played a really really good game and they looked good when I was watching as well. So seventeen shots, seven on target, uh, and fifty two percent possession, controlled and uh, very very clean win here. Yeah, like you said, it was a normal Tottenham game yep. for them. This Brighton side, I think it's more on Brighton being really bad. That they're right there uh, when it comes to the last six games in their form. Just like Norwich, they've lost all six. Um, but worse than Norwich, they've they only scored one goal in their last five uh, six games. So I mean, and they're giving up thirteen. So I mean, obviously. The attack is the main problem because even against the top tier teams, they are battling in the possession category um, pretty pretty steadily with all those top teams. We saw it uh, with Arsenal; they dominated the ball well. Liverpool, same; they had more possession than Liverpool, um, which is something that doesn't happen a lot. So it's just that build up in the final third that they just can't find right now with that team, whether it's the the attraction to that club or. Um, just the 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 training when it comes to Graham Potter, maybe he's just not that guy to bring the dynamic attack that um, you need in this Premier in the Premier League to really climb up the table. I mean, we we know how they started this year um, in the top six, top four at one point, and now as every week's gone on, they've been slowly dropping position by position. Now they're in thirteenth. Um, they're not going to get relegated, but you never know really uh, in the Premier League with 
every game's a battle. And um, Zach and I last week, I we went game by game because I brought up that stat I told you, um, probably towards the mid mid season mark that um, they've never gotten more than nine wins in a Premier League campaign. And uh, it we we went week by week, and he he gave them three wins. So so he we're right there. It's on the bubble, but. Um, I don't know. This team is down bad right now. Tottenham, um, we'll get to that in our next game, but they're kind of flying right there. Um, but I mean, their next game, it could go back into that form where you're, you you mentioned two weeks ago. Um, they win one, they lose one. Now it's like they win two, they lose one. So it's like a take a step forward and then a step back. So um, they put themselves in a good position, but um, Arsenal, even after the Liverpool game, which we'll talk about next, still picked up that form. Yeah, absolutely. And <clears throat> that's a good segue. We'll jump right in here. I was just having some water. Mm-hmm. Um, Arsenal nil, Liverpool 2. A very unfortunate result for the Gunners in this one. Uh, I'd like to come out first and say, I think if you looked at this game um, versus some, uh, let, let's say the last four or five fixtures against Liverpool, uh, Arsenal played better in this game than they have in the last four or five by a factor of like five. Um, they looked much, much better here. Liverpool have had our number for some time. I thought Arsenal lined up excellently. Um, they came out really strong, really sharp. We're missing Tomiyasu still. Cedric started here. Um, this was the game, you know, we had Ramsdale on this one. We didn't have, uh, we didn't have him in a more, our most recent fixture against Villa, but I think Arsenal in the first half played fantastically. They had a couple chances. They looked really sharp. Um, statistically they did finish the game with nine shots and two on target. Liverpool had nine shots and three on target. The possession was split pretty much down the middle. And I thought Arsenal were pretty much the better team in the first half. Unfortunately, they did falter in the second half when Diego Jota scored in the 54th and Roberto Firmino ensured there would be no points for Arsenal in the 62nd. In general, uh, my takeaways were that this team does have enough firepower to compete. It's a matter of linking the offense and the defense together so that you don't concede against another team who has a ton of firepower. You know, for me... Um, you know, this, this game was home. It was at the Emirates. It's never good to let another team in the top four come in and, and take all three at your home stadium. But I don't think that, that the boys, uh, should have had their, their head down whatsoever. I think to, to lose two, two nil to this Liverpool side is, um, really just part of business right now because they are, I don't know, maybe the second or third best team in the world. Um, so, you know, I, I, take my hat off and, and give it to Liverpool in this one. They they were the better side at the end, but um, this was a better performance from Arsenal than I expected. Yeah, I would say uncharacteristic, uncharacteristic to yeah. how Arsenal are usually in the past decade when it comes to their season overall. Um, they've been pretty consistent this year when it comes to earning points and uh, off of teams below them and sort of around their level. Um, they've done a really good job to win win and draw those games. They lose very, they've lost very few this year. But when it comes to those top-tier teams like the top three and occasionally teams around them, um, they haven't done very well. I don't think they've earned they, – they haven't earned any points off of the top three so far uh, against Chelsea, Liverpool, and City. 
Um, they should have against City the, in the most recent one, but uh, I just think that squad is just not there yet. They don't have the experience. They are very young and exciting to watch. Um, Saka, after their most recent game, was was awesome to watch against Villa, but I just don't think they, they, they're, they're at that level yet. I think they're that next tier, but this game showed that um, when you have Mo Salah coming off the bench for me, you know, these types of players and instantly they made an impact and in both getting involved in the goals. So it just shows the depth and the levels that are, that um, Arsenal still have to make. And I think Arteta has them in the right direction. Yep. Um, if they can finish out the year in top four and carry this momentum on into the next season, I think Arteta can get that much more favor with the fans and the, the board. Um, that they'll trust him with more funds and such. So um, I think it's just finishing out this year in the form they are. I think they shouldn't take too much um, negativity out of this game. But um, we we already saw in the next fixture, they bounced right back, and it seemed like this game didn't even happen. Yeah, which is good. Like you said earlier, uncharacteristic, I would say, of Arsenal. So um, let's get into another team who's performing uh, uncharacteristically. Everton. Winning 1-0. This year's Everton does not win. Uh, they won 1-0 against Newcastle in an absolute barn burner. I mean, this one went late. In the 99th minute, Alex Iwobi, uh, who I know the Everton fans don't love. They think he's a little bit overpaid, and I have to probably agree for his output. But um, scored in the 99th, a great goal taking all three for Everton when they needed it the absolute most, going up against Newcastle, who are also down there but have been in tremendous form. Um, and I think this is such a necessary result for Everton. I know um, that they have faith in Frank. Uh, you know, I like Frank too, but I'm sure he's on the hot seat. He has to be because they've they've had some really, really bad results under him so far. Um, sometimes looking clueless, but they stole one from Newcastle here. You know, 17 shots for, for Newcastle, six on target, 62% possession versus Everton's nine shots, three on target and 38% possession. Um, it was really not until, um, things started to get messy and Allen, uh, got a red card in the 83rd that I think Everton pulled together. Uh, and I don't know if Allen didn't get that red, if they would have won this game. I think that's when things switched. I think that's when the team united and they started to play as a unit. And that's what ultimately allowed them to get that goal and to take all three points from this one. Uh, this win cannot be understated in terms of importance. This was so necessary for Everton at this point. And this game right here could be the difference between them going up and staying down, truly. Yeah, I thought it was funny, two things. Uh, the one being the goalie change and Begovic, who yeah. hasn't had much time at all in the league. Um, he's had a couple cup games there in the League Cup and FA Cup when they were in it, but um, I thought that was funny. He makes the change in and they win. Uh, the second thing uh, I'm surprised you didn't mention was the fan that came on the oh, field. Oh, the goalpost thing? And he, he zip-tied <laughs> yeah, his yeah. neck to the goalpost. Yes. And, in the middle of the March Madness games, I have this game, uh, the soccer game on my phone. Yeah. And I had to do a double look. I'm like, there's a guy yeah. zip tied to the goalpost right I, now. And I forgot that and was this game. Everybody thought, like, what are you talking about? And I showed them, and they're like, holy shit. 
Like this is insane. The guy, the guy was strapped to the post for at least uh, eight minutes. It took twenty people to get him off, and even when they did get him off, they had to carry him off because I don't know what he was protesting. I don't know if it was the club or some sort of Ukrainian protest, or I have no idea. It wasn't like he was wearing anything, a shirt with a sign and a message or anything like that. It was weird, and I don't know. That was that was crazy. That just added to the, the atmosphere and the craziness of this match, because after that happened in the second half, then the, the red card happened, which was kind of debatable. I don't know if it was uh, a straight red as it was given. I yeah. think Jolington or whoever was fouled there uh, played it up a bit, but... Yeah, I mean, this Everton team is that's literally how every game has to be now. That amount of energy that goes into it for them to win. And like you said, the goal was was played well. DCL comes off the bench and gets a nice assist to an overlapping Awobi who I didn't expect to get the winner. But it happened. Now it's two two defeats in a row for Newcastle. They're 1 0, the last one being to Chelsea, which as well as this game, they should have gotten something out of. They played better than Everton, but. It just wasn't meant to be, and it just you just saw what it meant. And I don't think Goodison Park's Goodison Park has been that loud in a very long time. And um, unfortunately, under different conditions that or circumstances that it should be, but um, they're fighting for survival. And that three points can be a catalyst for them. They still have two games in hand, and uh, after the break, one of those games they make up is against Burnley, who are right on par with them when it comes into games played and in the area of that table. So uh, I don't know, man. They And they got West Ham too, who have been up and down. Uh, and it, like we're at the time of the year where one point isn't good enough. They need three. So I think if they can get at least two more wins and maybe two draws, three draws, I think that guarantees them a little bit of a cushion because we know Norwich isn't going to get anything and Watford's too unpredictable right now. So I think that is good enough for them, especially three points against uh, Burnley. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree. Um, all right, let's move on. We have, well, this one was electric. I'm not sure if you Jesus. watched it or not. But yeah, it was, yeah. It was an absolute scorcher. Um, Wolves versus Leeds United ending in a unbelievable victory for Leeds. Um, so, I'll walk you guys through the scoring here. Johnny opened the scoring in the 26th minute. Wolves out of the second when Trinkow scored in stoppage time of the first half. It went actually 11 minutes into stoppage time. He scored in the technically 56th. Um, Jack Harrison opened the scoring for Leeds in the 63rd. But in between those two things, we had some emergence of CTE. Raul Jimenez getting himself a red. Um, you know, he's not going to play next week, so we're, we're not going to be able to see him score after we slander him, but, yeah. uh, he, he got his second yellow and, and was sent off in the 53rd. They had to move things around after that wolves. And it really opened up, uh, the possibility for Leeds to get back into the game. One in the 63rd from Jack Harrison, who has a couple clutch goals this season one of the 66 from rodrigo moreno and then one of course the one that really mattered in the 91st by luke ailing and this was an absolutely electric match this is the leads that i like to watch um i'm fairly certain that i tweeted that it was so crazy to watch them mount the comeback and unite as a team and look like they have direction and defend well while simultaneously attacking well. 
it's nice to see. And it's unfortunate that it took this long. Um, are they getting the new manager bounce? Yes, probably. We know that that's a phenomenon in the Premier League. It just it is. It's a thing. Um, but this was a extremely strong and and really really powerful effort by Leeds. I think Wolves have been certainly down on their luck. Um, and I've I know I'm on record saying I was tired of Wolves. I'm still tired of Wolves. So this was great to see and really good to see an American manager uh, at the helm for a performance of this nature. Yeah, that he's split his results now since being manager, two wins, two draws. I mean, two wins and two losses, excuse me. But both of those wins come in stoppage time in, in the second half. So that's crazy in itself. But um, yeah, I mean, if you compare the first half to the second half, it's like two completely different games where... The first half, Wolves were in control of everything, and it was easy going for them. And it didn't seem like Leeds showed up. And Jimenez again gets a a not the smart doesn't make the smartest decision to get a red card because we saw this in the Man City game where he didn't make the smartest decision, and got sent off, and that sealed their fate in losing to City. And the same thing happened here. Uh, I won't bash him too much because he is in the Mexico squad for qualifiers this week, and yeah. Mexico plays U.S. tomorrow at 10 o'clock. So um, I don't want to say something and then the U.S. lose to a Jimenez goal tomorrow night because I'll be absolutely pissed. Yep. So I'll just leave it that at that with him. But, um, yeah, as soon as that happened, it was a debatable call in itself. Both players were playing the ball. It wasn't like he intentionally wanted to absolutely annihilate Meslier. But um, yeah, after that, Jack Harrison picked it up. He scored an absolute butte. Um, and from there on, he, he pretty much was the driving force for them. Rodrigo bangs it in. And then um, it was just all in there. Wolves were just packing it in and trying to save a point. But um, eventually it was just meant, it was just meant to be for Leeds. And um, you could just see um, Jesse Marsh didn't want to react too early. He was trying to keep the guys settled. There was scuffling between the two um, staffs, and he was just wanting everybody to sit down and shut the hell up. And yep. he was stressed just like everybody else. But, yeah, that three points means everything, just like the Everton three points. So that's two in a row for them. Um, they get they get an eight-point cushion, which is a lot um, in this table. But um, they need to keep up that momentum. They can't just stop there because um, I think another six points pretty much keeps them safe. So yeah. um, th there are manageable games in for them. They don't have the craziest of schedules like a couple other teams below them. But, yeah, in the right direction. Uh, this is one of those games last year where um, it helps them stay in the mid-table. Mid and... Um, We've seen throughout the year where they, they've conceded three, four goals and they just don't have the attack or they haven't gotten those clinical chances to match up. And this was one of those games where it was basically like last year's team where they, they do concede goals, but um, they have that firepower to match up and, and, and eventually get the edge on them. So, um, yeah, probably right on there, maybe just a little bit crazier than the Everton game. It's up for debate. But, yeah, two, two great games from this week's slate. Absolutely. Um, okay, let's move on. We had, oh, I think Aston Villa Arsenal is actually technically the next game. Yeah. Um, so Arsenal winning one nil behind a uh, Bukayo Saka kind of bounce around kick out goal. Uh, that was a great finish, but I'd say maybe we got a little bit lucky on. Uh, he scored that goal in the thirtieth minute, but there were plenty of chances for Arsenal to really lay it on thick and fast here, especially in that first half. 
they did not do so. They struggled to convert. There was a chance uh, early on where Emi Martinez actually managed to save a sort of own goal-looking situation. I think that was Tyrone Mings that almost knocked it in with his uh, knee. But yeah. Villa struggled to to get off uh, off a starting block here. They just weren't attacking very well until to the end um, when <clears throat> when Leno had to really only make one save, uh, which he did. So congratulations to Burned. Thank you for filling in. Um, but yeah, I mean, Villa just, just really, they never got going here. Um, they let Arsenal control the pace of the game. Uh, possession, I thought in this game was actually kind of funny because Arsenal really controlled pretty much the entire game until the last 20 minutes. But if you looked, uh, at the way that possession shook out, uh, Villa had 47% of the ball, which is strange. Um, sometimes you look at a game and feel like there's no way that's right, but that is uh, that is how it panned out. Uh, but I, I thought Arsenal were a much, much better team here. I know that Ashley Young ha- made some comments after the game because uh, this, this young Arsenal team went over and thanked the traveling fans, gave their jerseys away, and Ashley Young said, you know, why uh, why are they acting like they won the league? I don't know. I didn't have a problem with it, but I, I guess I can see where he's coming from. Uh on the other hand, I feel like I'd probably be upset if Bukayo Saka cooked me for 75 minutes. It would it would probably frustrate me to be playing at however the fuck old he is. He has to be almost 40, right? Ashley I Young? think he's, uh, if I had to guess, I think he's 37. I was going to say 37, he's 36. So um, a little long in the tooth for, for uh, Ashley Young. Uh, but he he was upset. I saw him come out in the media and say something. Uh, you know, a one nil victory. Maybe you shouldn't celebrate it that much. But I can appreciate the the community and and team unity that Mikel has seemed to foster. I was really not a fan of him when when he got started here at Arsenal. I thought maybe he was slightly incompetent. But I'd say the the way that these guys all interact with each other. Uh, with maybe the exclusion of Xhaka because he's fucking crazy, is impressive and kind of what you want in your locker room. Yeah, I'd say about the Ashley Young comments for supporting the the Arsenal's decision. I mean, you come off a, an unfortunate defeat to Liverpool, yeah, um, and you come right back into your your form previous to that game, and they they're they're in the midst of a of a top four fight with Tottenham right there, and you could put United in there, but they're not the. We know they're fraud Chester, so I mean, everybody's right there, so it's going to be a battle until the very end. So every point matters, and I think you should always be happy no matter how big or small the victory is so i think they they should have been happy about that and yeah villa can be bitter i mean they played 29 games and they've lost over half of them 15 um and the closest team to that when it comes to losses is brentford who are you could argue in a relegation battle maybe barely but it's crazy how high up the table they are with that many defeats so They've had an up and down year. Even when CVG came in, it, 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 they came off on a hot start, but they settled down, and now they're in that mid-table area. So, um, I thought it was interesting for their tactics. They set up with Buendia in the lineup, no Ings, so they went with just one up top. And Coutinho and Buendia are kind of similar players, so they couldn't really play off each other um, with the best chemistry because Buendia has been up and down, and Ramsey played more in a deeper role, and you could tell it wasn't. 
it didn't go in his favor. He's better going forward than defending. So I think their tactics up front um, didn't match up well to how Arsenal have. They Arsenal, since the turn of the year and maybe the Christmas period, they played this formation week in and week out with the same pretty much 13 guys. So um, they're not afraid of who they come up against. It's going to be this team and these tactics. So they have no confusion on what's to do. So I thought Arsenal should have definitely put in at least two or three. Lacazette had a couple chances to finish one and slip a couple guys in. There was like a 4v2 top of the box, and he he decided to take a shot. Um, but yeah, I think, like you said, Leno stepped in well. Xhaka got a signature card in here. He's probably on track to get suspended for another game. So <laughs> yeah. He's close to that five. But yeah, they they had that that moment again, that period in the game, like ten minutes, like every other team does um, in this league. There there's a little lapse, and Villa gets back in the game, and there were tension. There was tension there, but uh, it ended up going in their favor. So uh, credit to both teams there. It was a hard fought game, but yeah, I think the better team won on the day. Yeah, for sure. Okay, um, just a few more here. Actually, yeah, two. Uh, Leicester City 2, Brentford 1. Let it be known that the two goals that Leicester scored in this game were fucking bangers. They were both yeah. incredible. That first goal by Castagna, which he scored in the 20th minute, was an absolute screamer. And I knew when it came off his boot, it was going into the, that right corner. Uh, it just it caught... Uh, it caught Raya just absolutely sleeping. There was no way anyone was, was getting in front of that one. Um, Kelechi got the start in this one. Dewsbury Hall started behind him with Harvey Barnes and James Madison uh, flanking him. Mendy and Tielemans in the middle of the park with Castagna. Soyonku Amarti and James Justin, who's back uh, finally in the back line. And then... Brentford lining up with with Tony up top, Wissa out on the wide uh, wide left, and and Buemo on the right. Same guys in the middle of the park, with the exclusion of uh, Christian Eriksen, who has COVID. So uh, hopefully we we see him back soon, and it's not a big deal. I know COVID can actually affect your heart, so hopefully there's there's no sort of complications there. We know he he had uh, the issue in the summertime. Uh, hopefully we'll see him back, but yeah, James Madison added another one in the 33rd. That was another tremendous goal. It wasn't until the 85th that Brentford got themselves on the score sheet. Brentford turned it up towards the end of the the second half there. Uh, a good goal and really uh, quite a few chances. You know, they did in terms of, of chance production fare better than Leicester did. 15 shots and six on target instead of the 12 and four that Leicester had. Uh, Leicester controlled the ball, did seem more intent on on keeping the lead and staying in control, but I think Brentford were dangerous in this game. And it's good to see Brentford, because uh, I, I kind of want them to stay up. Um, it's good to see them still competing in a game, even when when they're sort of down and out. Uh, we saw, you know, a five, six, seven-week stretch, probably more really in the congested period, um, where Brentford were just not competing in games. They were getting pumped. They looked listless. They looked tired. But since Tony's been back, I think that that they've looked much, much better. So this is an unfortunate result for them. Uh, they're going to be safe, I think, this season. But Leicester needed a confidence boost, and I think this is one of those games. Yeah, there was an eight-game period where they only earned one point. So, yeah, yeah there were, there's been times where there's long stretches of 
negative results. And I think like the last game with Villa, there was a period 10, 15 minutes where they got back into it. The possession started going their way. Uh, Leicester were making a lot of defensive miscues, um, particularly with MRT with the playing out of the back. Um, James Justin is still working back his fitness. This is the first time we've seen Castagna back in a while. Um, Johnny Evans came off the bench. He's had a long time injury with a hamstring. So they're slowly getting back to 100%. Um, I thought this game could end at least 4 1 towards Leicester. Yeah. Um, I think fortunate for them, they had those two bangers in the first half, which helped momentum and confidence going into the halftime. But um, Ian Acho's speed was a problem for the back line with Brentford. He got in a pair of times, and um, unfortunate for him, he couldn't chip the goalie properly. It was off to the side, and Barnes had one on the, a free kick late on. So I think uh, Brentford were fortunate for their goal difference not to get worse. Um, come de- come the last week, that could be a factor in who gets relegated, who stays up. But yeah, um, Leicester saved it in the end. Michael played all standing on his head, probably man of the match for them yeah. um, after the ninety. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think this is a great win for Leicester. They're using these games in hand well. They're climbing back up. Um, their best chance is to finish ninth because now there's a ten point gap between Wolves and eighth. Uh, and then Aston Villa and Leicester both on 36. So a huge margin there. I don't think it's going to be, I don't think anybody's going to be able to make up that ground. I don't think any of these teams can go on a run like uh, Liverpool and City and win maybe seven straight. Um, maybe I shouldn't say that because we saw Newcastle there for a six, seven week period, get constantly getting results. So you never know with this league. Um, besides Norwich, you know they're going to lose. But I feel I'm always just digging at Norwich, but um, that's okay. Yeah, I mean, I think just an overall good result. We both picked Leicester here, um, and it, it showed fairly. And they've been probably one of my top three teams this year, picking them. Yeah, I'm eighteen and nine picking Leicester games, so that's surprising. Wow. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's good for them. Okay. Um. Alrighty. We have Tottenham versus West Ham up next. Do you watch this game? I'll let you take the lead if you did. I didn't. I watched oh, the, right. the I watched all the highlights in that. I'll say that Harry Kane was a huge problem that West Ham wasn't ready for. He was a key figure in this result, even though Sun got um two goals and then he technically got three. I mean Zuma's own goal, it was from Sun, so um i think it was really harry kane and that that playing style and i think west ham matched up formation to formation with tottenham here but it just didn't go in their favor i think throwing masuaku out there um for the first time in probably a couple months getting a start didn't play to their favor uh ben johnson on the other wing back role so i think they've been missing jared bowen dramatically um in their last six, it's kind of been sporadic to two wins, two draws and two defeats. And um, I just don't think there's any familiarity, f- familiarity with a couple of these players. So they're right there mid table. If you look in their in the last six weeks in form, um, scoring seven and giving up eight. So um, it's not looking good for them in these closing weeks for their fight for a top four position, um, especially with teams around them having games in hand in in Tottenham. Uh, United and Arsenal so this is definitely a result that um, was they could not they it was worst case scenario for them to lose this game especially against Tottenham who it was a six-pointer in the end 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I thought I thought this was a, a really, really good result for Tottenham. I did take Tottenham. Uh, they came out hot, but after after Ben Rama scored in the thirty fifth, I was like, "Oh, this has like Spurs two two written all over it. This has disaster class written all over it." But somehow they managed to keep things buckled up. Um, they didn't let West Ham get back into the game, which was good. I think um, Kulisevsky, the inclusion of him in this side, bringing him in and making sure that there's another threat out on the right, because I think people had started to figure Lucas out a little bit, and he did have a couple really, really good seasons for Tottenham, but I think it's better to have him coming off the bench. Um, <clears throat> you know, you did see him. You saw Bergman in here. Uh, both of those guys can can do a job. I think they're both very sound players, but Kulisevsky and Son backing up Harry Kane is very, very solid. And they got Kulu for essentially nothing. I mean, they got him for a really, really fair price. Uh, Benson Core, again, another guy that they got for a really, really good price. I don't, I'm not sure if he was a free transfer or if they just paid a little bit for him. Um, but I know he wasn't expensive. So, you know, getting that business done for, for, a solid price and having these guys as you know staples in your side now who have improved the stability and attacking prowess of your team we have to say you know thank you to not we but uh Tottenham fans should be thanking Conte and <clears throat> I think is Paratici the uh director of football there now too Who's that at uh, Tottenham? Yeah, Fabio uh, Paratici. He was at Juve for a long time, and he worked. He is. I think he's the director of football at, at Tottenham. So that's why they were able to get Kulisevsky and, and Betancourt for the price yeah. that they did. Um, and Yeah, they, you know, paid, they paid 21 mil for Betancourt, and then they've loaned in Kulisevsky for 11 million yeah. for, uh, for a year. So that's a masterclass right there um, from Conte and, and Paratici. Really, really good business. And those guys have been standouts for me, absolutely. And Kulu, I, I would imagine, uh, I think there's an obligation to buy, and I don't know why Tottenham wouldn't buy him. He has been tremendous. His positioning is so, so good. And I think that to learn from you know the king of positioning, Harry Kane, being in the right spot at the right time, uh, is is going to do nothing but make sure that his development <clears throat> is strong, is really, really strong. So good performance from Spurs in general here. Unlucky for West Ham, who are really sliding. Uh, Antonio has been silent. Declan Rice back in the side here. Uh, but he and Suchek not having the year that, that they quite did last year. Kurt Zuma, when he's not abusing cats, is scoring own goals. Uh, West Ham are are deeply mudded if you ask me yeah i'd agree there um i guess now that that's all over we talked you talked about the champions league at the start now yeah. that we're in the quarterfinals are there any matchups that stick out to you of the four um so let me see you got liverpool benfica man city atletico uh villarreal bayern and then chelsea real madrid okay so i think chelsea Real Madrid will obviously be the one that I have my eye on the most. Um, Bayern should be able to do a quick job with Villarreal, although they are a defensively and in terms of the way that they play in the midfield, very strong team. Uh, technically, Villarreal are just impressive and uh, 
my boy Unai is actually the manager there. Uh, if you guys, I don't know if you guys remember the Unai uh, time period on the pod, but it was dark, dark time. Um, and the, but but Chelsea and Real Madrid should be the the thing to keep your eye out uh, on. I think it's going to be awesome. I think within the last ten years, Chelsea have Madrid's number. Uh, I I looked at some statistics the other day, so I'm expecting that to to pan out similarly. We saw the way that Real Madrid played against Barcelona just a few short days ago uh, without Benzema. He is certainly still the the talisman player there. He's very necessary. He needs to be on the pitch. Or you can't really expect uh, a consistent result out of Madrid. Chelsea, on the other hand, I think have a ton of talent, youth talent, and also um, guys that you can rely on. And I just think that defensively, they're a much, much stronger team. They're going to be losing some players soon, probably. But Chelsea were just given a $30 million, 30 million pound cash injection today, allowed to get a little bit of their cash. I don't think we're going to be worried about the state of Chelsea Football Club for very long. And I think that this UCL tie right here is sort of where they get back on track because they're probably going to have a new owner by the time this game kicks off. I would hope so. Um, last Friday was the deadline to submit offers, and uh, I'm sure there's a multitude of offers in from all around the world. So I don't know when that decision is going to be made. But um, with Benzema, though, about the game, I, th- I saw a stat. It, like he scored more goals since Ronaldo's left. Um, like, comparing the two, like since Ronaldo's left, the both of them, their total goals. I think Benzema scored like six or seven more goals than Ronaldo since that period he left like uh what was it four years ago I think three four years ago so yeah like you said he's the identity of that team right now and I also think it's crazy how there's the three teams from England and three teams from Spain left so that kind of shows you the state of of um how what how the leagues are this year yeah Um, we always know Bayern's in um Dortmund fell off early Leipzig's been in here in the past but they've kind of had a a bad period there. Um, Jesse Marsh was the most recent manager and it didn't work out well for him. So um, it's interesting. You have, you have um, the Portuguese in there with Benfica. Um, I think that'll be, probably be the most favored when it comes to odds. It'll be interesting to see if Bayern or Liverpool are the bigger favorites. I'd have to lean towards Liverpool, but yeah, it should be interesting. I don't know. Um, Hopefully, if it if it all works out how we think it's going to work out, it'll be three England teams and Bayern, if you think by chalk. But um, we'll see with Simeone there in Man City. The, you'll have the two most, the two highest paid managers in the world going head to head. I said that to Zach. I was, you know, Simeone gets paid like twenty seven million euros a year. I, I did and know that. Yeah, I was listening to a, there's a Champions League pod that I listened to that kind of goes over like the history of some of these clubs and how they are where they are right now. And that was one of the uh, tidbits. Yeah, it's like he's number one and then there's a massive drop off to Pep, who's like yep. 19 million. And then it's Klopp third and Tuchel's like 10th. He's only been paid like seven mil a year. Yeah. Well, I think you have to consider like Tuchel has a as a strong resume, but I think how how old is he compared to Klopp? Are they similar in age? Because Pep, I always think like he's not that old, but he he is. He's up there. Tuchel's forty eight. Klopp is fifty four. And Pep and, is fifty one. He doesn't look yeah. fifty one. He's handsome, but yeah. Um, I mean, most of these managers are all around the same age. 
Yeah, uh, Simeone fifty one, Conte fifty two, Ancelotti's probably the oldest. Yeah, he's sixty two. So yeah, they're all around like the early fifties, late six, like early sixties. So yeah, and I mean, I I would be so curious to see where else would Simeone succeed. Because his name's been float, his name's been floated for the United job. Everybody's name's been floated for that job, but no, I can't that, see him ever leaving them. No, nah, he's viewed as a god there. Yeah, I know. I don't. I don't think he'd ever leave. They won know? the league. They've uh, have they won the Champions League there? No, I, I think it's the one thing they haven't won. Nope, they haven't won that. But they've won pretty cl- much everything else. I think the closest was when Madrid beat them for La Decima. I think that was yes. like made the final. So, yeah, I definitely don't see him leaving. I mean, we know Poach is going to leave. So he's like number one with, and then you got the IX guy, and I'm sure there's one or two others, but I think those are like the main. Well, they're saying the Ten Hog thing might not go through. Like, it, they didn't, he had a meeting with them and it didn't go well or something. That was the, the news that I read yeah. either last night or this morning. I don't mm-hmm. think United can be fucking choosy, honestly. Um, no. Like, they need somebody in because Ralph Ragnick is not is not the guy straight up. He's just not. And yeah. I know that's not the plan, but they need to get somebody in sooner rather than later because I don't think you want to start the season with a brand new manager next year and have to deal with the growing pains or uh, you know, anything of that nature. But yeah. Um I guess that's sort of all we have for uh for this episode. You're right at about forty five minutes, so this was a shorter episode. Um, next week we have some international stuff and then we're going to give you the, the previews for match day 31, which is jam packed full of games, uh, that stretches from April 2nd to April 4th. My two teams, Crystal Palace and Arsenal going up against each other. So it's going to be a tough watch, but there's a couple of really good games, um, that, that weekend. I think, uh, we're going to have some good football to watch. Um, is there anything else you want to add before I close this on out? Yeah, I mentioned earlier when we were talking about Jimenez, U.S.-Mexico tomorrow night, 10 o'clock. As of recording this, that's a massive matchup. Um, if we win the game at Azteca, I think that pretty much locks us in. Um, anything other than that, we're going to be sweating out the, the last two games. Um, Panama and Costa Rica have easy games. To close out the to close out the qualifiers there they both play um bottom tier teams tomorrow against honduras and and um who does costa rica play el salvador so it's going to be stressful to watch these next couple days the u.s team especially with mckinney and des not playing and all that chaos because i don't want to have a it's going to turn into a 12-year period where the u.s doesn't play in a world cup so um that'll be something i really hope that doesn't happen because this like we talk about in the past like this is a period where the u.s has a lot of great talent and we don't want to see it go to waste in a in the top in well the the only top tournament to play in in the world um unless you consider the the gold cup and all that up there but realistically no so yeah i don't want to see them waste another opportunity and it'll all come down to greg yeah, I know. I don't want to see that either. And now um, we have Jesse Marsh managing Leeds, so that sort of takes him out of the running to manage the national team as well. So, 
we'll see. I don't know. I really don't like Greg very much, but we'll have to see how things pan out. And I just would like to see the boys at the World Cup. Uh, it's been so long since we've seen it. Okay, uh, that's all from us, guys. Um, my brain stopped working. Make sure you check us out on social media at Post20Pod. Twitter and Instagram are where we are located. Uh, you can also find the show and all past recordings of the show on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else you can find podcasts. We appreciate you listening. Thanks for checking in this week. We'll see you next week. And until then, take care of yourselves and enjoy the weekend.